Hi everybody, welcome to this week's Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry podcast, episode 26. I'm Philip Heidson with Darren McAnthony, the chairman, or El Presidente, I think still. What's up? <laughs> and co-owner of Peterborough United. How are you doing, Darren? I'm all right, Philip, you know, we've had our usual one-hour politics debate, mm-hmm. which is always great fun between me and you, the Lib and the, and the Conservative. Um... All our power was out today, so I was quite irritated yeah. when I woke up at six this morning, fucking in the dark, and uh, I couldn't I couldn't get on the internet, I couldn't do any of my work. Welcome to Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was like ringing my missus, like, what the fuck's going on? Oh, she was at the gym, <laughs> like it's her fault. <laughs> and she can do anything about it. Yeah, so can, what do you want me to do? You need someone to complain to. I'm like, listen, this is your domestic territory here. I expect my lights to be on when I wake up. <laughs> so, uh, but other than that, I'm, I'm great. I'm tickety-boo. Um, really, really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, you had good a good weekend. result of the weekend. Yeah, that was, um, you know, it was really funny because obviously we're playing the league leaders, we're playing our championship team, and I spoke about our fixtures, you know, yeah. getting Sunderland away, Wigan away, Hull away, you know, horrendous, like, fixtures, Oxford all in the same yeah. week. And we um, we weren't good, you know. The, the conditions were, like, horrendous. I'm watching an eye follow, and it is like a bath. Mm-hmm. It's just hammering down. But we didn't play well. And I thought, I'm looking at it going, you know, we're 1-0 down at half time, and I'm making myself a coffee going, this is just typical us, you know, we're going to get battered, typical football fan, you know, yep. in a negative mind. And, you know, it, this is a real test if we really want to be like playoff contenders or league title contenders or whatever else. And fair play, bollocks by the players and the manager because a lot of teams would go under, Hull hadn't conceded at mm-hmm. home. You know, we've come from behind. We've gone out in the second half. He's brought a 17-year-old on in the 50th minute. He's changed the formation. And they dug in. And and there's something really dogged about us at the moment. I don't know if it's a COVID thing, mm-hmm. because of what happened to us, but there's a real doggedness about our team. Um, it's not your typical swashbuckling Peterborough United, which, you know, I love the swashbuckling yeah. style, and I'm sure it will come. But there's a real dig in, you know, don't die attitude in yeah. there, uh, and we're scoring a lot of late goals. And then there's a real doggedness then to keep the results, you know, when we go up. Yeah. I'm not saying we're trying to defend the result, because we always look dangerous. But um, yeah, it was a hell of a win. It was a big win, that one. That, I think that told our players, our management staff, a lot of us that, you know, hey, we, we might be in business this mm-hmm. year. So look, it means shit if you don't follow it up now with, you know, two home games. So um, we'll see. But quietly optimistic. Still don't think we've hit fourth or fifth gear. But um, that doggedness I love. And if we have that for the rest of the yeah. season, we're in business. Great foundations. We're in business. Yeah. Who have you got coming up then? We've got um, Burton and Shrewsbury, um, and and everyone always goes, oh, you know, they're like three points. They're not. This league, I keep saying it, like I, I said last week or two weeks ago, crew are like, mm-hmm. you know, dark horses. Look at the result crew got the weekend, um, winning away from home. Where it was, it was against a very good team. Um, they had a really, really good result. And Sunderland got battered by Portsmouth. Right. Um, this league is it's it's a bit like the Premier League. It's and I don't know again if it's a COVID thing or whatever it is, but. You can't look at any result and go, oh, that's that's a home banker or that's an away banker because the league is just weird. And I guess if you go into every game with an attitude, if we can keep the doggedness about us and, and, and our feet on the floor, we're going to do very well. Mm-hmm. We're not going to win every game. Yes, we've won a good few in a row and we're having a good month. But I guess as you get late into the season, this consistency now will pay off then. Yeah. And, you know, the best part about it was we lost, you know, one of our best players, Schmodocks. To a hamstring, I only found out before the game that the physio had sent me a fitness report he sends me every week, and there's something in red for a player that's injured, and I saw two reds on the list, and I fell off my desk, and one of them was Schmodox. 
I said to the manager after the game, you bollocks, you never told me about that. I got the shock of my life. But uh, <coughs> he did his hamstrings, but he's okay. Um, so going to the league leaders without one of your best players, you know, and, and pulling that out, that, yeah. that, that that's character. Yeah. So uh, who knows? I, I don't know how it's going to go tomorrow or Saturday. But like I said to you, this this bit of dogginess we've got about us, if we can retain that for 46 games, I, I, I really fancy us. It's a big week to consolidate some of the results that you've got massive, with a couple of home massive, games. Massive, massive. So let's see if we can do the business. Um, but it's a, like I said, it's a weird league. Ipswich were running away with it, but they hadn't played anyone. Now they've played some teams and they've lost. Lincoln have had a phenomenal start. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had an okay start. We lost two out of three, and now we've won, I think, five or six on the spin. Um Ask me again in March, February. People keep saying, oh, the table, the table. And my dad even like texts me, oh, have you seen the table? I'm like, oh, I couldn't give a bollocks about the table. Like, I don't table watch. I certainly don't table watch in September, October. So when do I look at a table seriously? March, because that's really when it takes shape, right? Yeah. Um, and so it doesn't matter to me. What matters at the moment is is performance. What matters is is that doggedness uh, and, and keeping your players fit. Because again, I'm seeing all the COVID stuff. You know, there's a lot of clubs with a lot of games piling up, Phil. I said to my manager yesterday, I said, Gaff, I said, "Um, we've got to keep our players in a bubble because I'm seeing teams like Oxford, who are now, because I think it was Swin first, now it's Akron and Stanley. Mm -hmm. They've they've got two, three games like they're behind. Yeah, and there's nothing they can do about it. They've done the right things. It's horrendous. It's horrible. I don't know the rules. I don't know what it is because if someone rang us and said, um, or if we had an issue and we were missing five, I'd still want to play. Right. And the reason I'd want to play I don't think you can, this is the season to pile games into midweek because the season's already stacked. There's nowhere to go, is Right, there? and I said to the gaff, I said, can you imagine in February, March with all those tired legs if you had to play four games in seven right. days? I don't think I'd want to be play, play four games in seven days. So if you said to me, would you rather have to tune out four or five teenagers and play now and just get over the COVID thing? Or do you want to stack those games up till February, March or April? I'll be like, let's get them out of the way now. Yeah. Because I think the, the team that's the freshest in March onwards kind of February, March onwards, is going to be the team that will yeah. do really well. There's going to be a lot of tired legs, isn't there? Correct, Phil. And that's what I was saying about like some of our players with pace and stuff. Like at the moment, everyone's kind of fresh. But come February, where you're playing Saturday, Tuesday, all the way through to Christmas, there are going to be people so bollocksed. Like I said it to the gaff yesterday. Can you imagine at the moment Dembele running towards Beavers and you know and training compared to Dembele running towards Beavers in February, March, mm. after Beavers has played four months on, on a t- you know, yep. on watery pitches right. and winter. And the gaff goes, listen, he wouldn't fucking like him running towards him now, never mind in February. I said, yeah, I get that. But my point, you get my That's point. That's every half in the, in the league. In, in the league, you get my point. You know, when you've played 30 games on like heavy pitches, you are fucking knackered by February, March. Right now, you're still kind of feeling that preseason spark. So... I feel bad for the teams. I think Akron and Stanley are the most recent one. Now they had eight players and a member of staff. So again, there's more games called off tomorrow night. Um, I don't know how the EFL is going to... Do you know what the rule is? Do you no, know what the protocol well, I is? I think part of the challenge is I don't think there is any rules or protocols. It seems like every club is making... I heard, they, was it Akron and Oxford rang the EFL doctor and they were advised, okay, don't play? I, I, I don't know what but it where's is. where's that advice coming from? I, I don't know because... Because yeah. you, that's what we had with Grimsby. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Stevenage at the same time yep. who played. Yep. There seems to be no consistency no. when a team plays and when Like what happened to us at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. We never really knew we had the option to not play. Yeah. Um. So again, like a little bit of direction would be good. But like I said, if you gave me the choice now and we, we had five out, I'd want to play. Yeah. Now do you... Th- there's some 
some interesting, crazy, you know, inconsistent results, as sure. you said, uh, sure. I think across all leagues, we're yeah. certainly seeing it in League Two as well. Yeah. Do you think that no fans being in takes away home field advantage? Yes, I, I think it plays a part. It definitely played a part in taking us a while to warm up. We lost two of the first three. Mm -hmm. We were one of the teams who didn't play at the end of the season. So for our players, it was kind of, even for me, when I was at Sunderland in a big, massive stadium, it was eerie, it was weird. Yeah. It was like a training game. Um, and I think some teams, look, if we went to Hull, there would normally be probably fifth because Hull are top of the table. They'd probably have fifteen thousand plus mm -hmm. there. We would take two thousand. The atmosphere would be unbelievable. Yeah. Probably would put you under more pressure. Probably, I'm not saying the result would be different. The referee maybe who knows under pressure. Who knows? You're right. And if you look statistically at home and away results, you know there is probably an imbalance at the moment compared to a normal season, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I've now it's definitely playing a part. And fuck knows how long that's going to continue. <laughs> no, we had uh, in our only victory recently, which yep. was away from home, we yep. talked about it last week at Mansfield, that w there were two or three City fans who were outside the stadium but were making enough noise. And the players actually commented on the fact wow. that even though there were two or three people stood outside wow. making a noise, they felt like they wanted to play for them. That them play. being there actually gave them something else. Now, you, should, you can question, should they have that anyway? Um, <laughs> but... It, it just makes a difference, even oh, even knowing that there's a couple of people that are watching some way, you know, cheering them on. Since the 85th minute, you're feeling bollocks, you've got cramp, you're mm -hmm. a player, and you don't have the energy to go on five more minutes. But if 10,000 people are there chanting, yeah. pushing you on, you'll get the extra one or two percent sometimes, right? It gives you the adrenaline. Right? It gives you the adrenaline. You're right. Adrenaline is the key word. So look, it's definitely playing a part. I think I saw Solskjaer moaning about United didn't win against Chelsea because, again, if they'd had the crowd, they would have won the game. So, look, it's also given managers an excuse as well, mm -hmm. I guess. <laughs> I'm sure managers are always looking for an excuse. Of course they are. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. You're not wrong there, you know what I mean? But, yeah, it was, uh, how, did, how did Bradford get on at the weekend? We lost 3-0 I, I saw you losing your shit on Twitter. <laughs> what was your tweet? Um, it was something like, I don't think I felt this low and uh, for a long time. And <laughs> we've had some low points over the last few years. And that League Two is the gift that keeps on giving. Shit. Um, you know, I, I, in some way I struggle that I, I always recognize that we're where we are because mm -hmm. we deserve to be there. Sure. You know, I'm not one of these that thinks, oh, we're, we have so many fans. That makes us a big mm -hmm. club. We deserve, to, we deserve to be where we are. Sure. That doesn't mean that you feel like crap when you lose at home to Newport. You're a true fan. You know, having, Newport are a good team. They are. They're top of the table. Yep. They, I mean, they scored after 40 seconds. Anyone in there that stands out? A little posh gem to go and nick? <laughs> You've got to do a bit of scouting for the I league know, too. You're you know, watching all these games. Come on. I, I think I was so annoyed at our team, I didn't really take notice of their team. Fucker. Their manager. There you go. No, I, I, listen, he, he'd be on a list. Yeah. You know, definitely him, the Cheltenham manager. You know, phenomenal things they've done. If you said to me, draw up a list of five managers, if you if Darren got recruited by United, be yeah. the manager, who are you going to go get? Yeah. You know, you, you, there's four or five you would put on a list and go, right, look at what they're doing. Low budgets, you know, low expectations, and they're exceeding every yep. expectation. Do you good know what football. I mean? So good football, yeah, hundred percent. So I agree. He'd be on our list too. You yeah, know? I mean, he's a former player. Would he take the Bradford job today? Um, Let's see how how where your club is right now in the football world. So Bradford Newport. Yeah, you're the Newport manager. You're top of the league. Yeah, Bradford, an iconic, massive football club, mm -hmm. come in for you now. What would you do if you're him? Yes, you'd leave Newport. The reason Bradford? why I believe he would leave. Us, uh, sorry, leave Newport for us oh, is controversial. because um, he yeah. used to play for us. Okay. So, and he talked, even after the game on Saturday, mm -hmm. he talked about his fondness for the club mm -hmm. and how, you know, it was such a big thing to come to Valley Parade yeah. and win for him. 
Um, if it's somebody else, you know, let's say it's... Um, Cheltenham manager. Yeah. Mm. No. Yeah. So the question that I would ask is, if you're at a club like Cheltenham, mm-hmm. and I don't know the answer to this, so sure. I'm not making any assumptions. Sure. How far can you go? Sure. Like, what's your ceiling? Sure. And so do you look at something like that and say, you know what, maybe my ceiling could be higher um, with a team like Bradford? That's an interesting challenge. He'd be, I, I think if you're, if you're the Newport manager, there's not a lot of pressure on you. Mm-hmm. You're flying. You're exceeding expectations. Playing good football. You're probably on the list of a lot of clubs. Yeah. And you'd look and go, do I go to Bradford where the landscape isn't as sure? Yeah. You know, the ownership. You know, all the things that have gone on Bradford the last couple yeah. of years that haven't worked. Yeah. And you're going, do I want to get into that mire at the moment? Do I stay with Newport, take it as far as I can, and maybe a bigger club? I don't want to sound, you know, one no, of the Bradford fans. Fair. A bigger club, maybe the bottom of the championship yeah. come in for me? So in my advice to him would be, don't even fucking think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, stay away. It's yes, toxic. Stay. I didn't say that. You put out words in my mouth. That's Phil the Bradford fan saying toxic. Yeah, and that, that, but that's me saying, you know, our track record of um, sacking managers every sure. seven or eight months for the sure. last three or four years. Um, you know, it's hard to break that cycle. And 100%. yes, people will back themselves that they're going to be the one. You know, we had a cycle like this. 10 years ago um, and Phil Parkinson came in and mm-hmm. he was the one that broke the cycle. Sure. But there's plenty of, uh, you know, dead bodies along the way before <laughs> one might manage to turn it around. Listen, I've hired a few managers, a few dead bodies buried somewhere <laughs> as well there, you know, but I guess, so you're pretty much low as a snake's belly after Saturday's result. It feels like it, but then um, I'm not naive enough to think that it can't get worse. Who you got tomorrow? We've got Bolton away. <sighs> And they're starting now. I think they played quite well against Cambridge on they Saturday. They did. Uh, I was just um, talking to somebody on email mm-hmm. that's a Bolton fan. Yeah. The good news for us is it looks like Owen Doyle is injured. Okay. Um, we beat them in the League Cup. Okay. But uh, I remember uh, that again, first game of the season, yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I, I think that both the person that I was talking to on uh, over email mm-hmm. and myself, we both not in the best of places right now. <laughs> so we'll see um, who hell. wins the day. And then we got Barrow away on oh, Saturday. Done well as well. Barrow, eh? Jeez. Okay. It's tough. Tough week. Mm-hmm. But it's football. Anything's yeah. possible. So we'll see. Um, what what stood out for you being the worst part about Saturday? Were you dominated throughout? Yeah, I mean, they scored. All facets of the game? They scored after 40 seconds. Um, and it felt like when they scored, it was job done already. Okay. There was just, um, you know, it's very one-dimensional yeah. Um, we had a strike force that I don't have a great deal of confidence sure. in. Um, the the hardest thing for me, and it's always hard to 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 really know as a supporter. You know, mm-hmm. you don't see what's going on on the field, but there's yep. just the idea of desire. Yeah, I get that. You know, there just didn't seem to be the desire. It was too easy. We weren't throwing ourselves at balls. We were arguing with each other. Okay. Um, and, Not good signs. You know, you you take losing if you think you've given given it all you've got. Like you said before about you know what what. What the bur- what the posh fans mm-hmm. are doing, uh, sorry, players are doing is you're all in it together. Doggedness. Yeah, and I just didn't see that, and that was yeah. the uh, that makes me most worried. They always say there's a, there's a way to lose, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a way not to lose. Um, so I, I agree with that. It's like if the if the opposition goalkeeper has a game of his life, yeah. you can live with it. Right. If you're creating twenty chances a game, yep. data and statistics will always tell you, and I'm a big data yep. freak, that the wins will follow. Yep. It's when you're not creating and you're not getting those things that's when you worry yeah you know they can score a worldie and mm-hmm. you know you just got beaten by 100%. the better team on the day but just so many holes and gaps and watching now i have to 
I had predicted my second favourite team in, in the Premier League is Leeds. Mm-hmm. And I predicted pre-season Leeds were going to be top 10, correct? Yeah. So I'm going to have to rejig my prediction. I actually think top six now. And it's- I watched the game again the other day, the 4-0 Villa. Mm-hmm. And wow, wow, wow. I am enjoying watching that football team. That top six is interesting, isn't it? And it's well, it is now when you look at the results, right? The weekend. Right. I mean, it feels like it's um, championship manager after uh, <laughs> you know five seasons in, and you got the Manchester teams, you know, bottom half, mid table, uh-huh. and you've got all these uh, that you wouldn't expect to be anywhere near the top uh, or in the top. Yeah, six. and I watched my beloved Liverpool on Saturday after the posh. I watched the Liverpool game on Peacock here in, in the US, and um, they were crap, but they won two one. Listen, VAR was a fucking disgrace again, isn't but. It? Um, and, and I have to say, I haven't been impressed with Liverpool this season, but you look at the league table and go, well, they've won as a three out of five. They lost heavily to Villa. They should have beaten Everton bar VAR and they should be top of the table. So as bad as Liverpool have been, they're actually up there. Yeah. Um, there are signs I'm very concerned. You know, the, defensively, I've spoken about this. I think, you know, Bobby Firmino worries me, you know, but now Jota's come in, so maybe less so worried. But if ever a year... We've discussed this last week. I don't think there's going to be an 85, 90 points, 9,500 yeah. points winner of the Premier League. And Leicester did Arsenal yesterday. I'm going to watch Spurs, who I enjoy watching play today. Mm-hmm. Um, Southampton really impressed me. Um, the way he has them playing, really, really good. Everton were absolutely crap. Yep. Um, but I think Everton will be crap in, in spats, and they'll be really good in spats. I still think Everton will be there, thereabouts, top four. Um, Leicester will as well. Uh, I mean, when you look back and go... Brendan Rodgers, you know, what he's done at Leicester. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd be amazed if a big club doesn't knock, well, Leicester are a big club, but, you know, again, if an Arsenal ever have a job yeah, up for grabs or, City, or whoever, they've got to look at someone like Brendan, you know, for the, for the style of football, you know, what he can do. Now, as a Liverpool fan, where do you stand on Brendan? I've always been a Brendan fan. Yeah. If you check my tweets from years ago, I enjoyed when we nearly won the league. And obviously, you know, we it fell short. Um, but listen, I've... I, Klopp's unbelievable and I wasn't a big Klopp fan at the start but he convinced me mm-hmm. you know what, what, what he's done and he's obviously brought to success I thought he was a serial choker because he lost like six seven cups in a row and we came runner up but you know who am I to judge Jurgen Klopp he's a world class manager but I thought Brendan was harshly treated mm-hmm. he didn't get that kind of level of support in the transfer market that Klopp did he had Sturridge he had Suarez he had Sterling and he lost all of them pretty much yeah. well he lost two of them yeah. Suarez and Sterling and he certainly didn't have a £75 million centre-back brought in for him. He didn't have a £70 million goalkeeper brought in for him. Um, you know, you look at the players he nearly won the league with, mm-hmm. that will tell you what a job Brendan Rodgers did. So, um, look, the Premier League is really exciting. I mean, I, I still think Lampard will be the first one for the chop. I've said that in the yep. summer. Um, obviously, he's now trying to show people he can defend and they have gone the opposite way where they don't look like scoring. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, I, I don't know. If you had to put your finger on one now, who, who's winning the league? Come on, Phil, put your bollocks on the table. Who's winning the league? Yeah, I mean, I still think that it's Liverpool okay. at the moment. Fair play. Um, because it's hard to bet against them, even with all the troubles. You know, and the, the, the calamity that was Villa, yeah. it was still only three points at the end of the day. You're right. My issue, they are one injury, one more injury yeah. away from struggling to make the top four. And I say that as in, if they lost Henderson, mm-hmm. or if they lost Salah, yeah, or the goalkeeper again, I think they're going to have a problem yeah. with the top four. Yeah. That's my concern. Yeah, I, I see that for sure. Big issue for me. But it's exciting that uh, oh. we have a Premier League like this. Tremendous. Um, you know, in the meantime, they're all trying to uh, come up with another scheme to break away. <laughs> <laughs> 
the top. Well, let me guess. What's this project called? Project Big Penis. Uh, pr- project, project Big Wallet. Pr- project Bigger Picture. Right. Uh, Our project, even, big, even bigger picture. Project. We're two weeks down the line, and we still have no help from anyone in the EFL. Yeah. I think is this, this is Project JKP Morgan. I think. Oh, my bank. Uh, so this is where they're now all talking about this European Premier League again. I saw that. Six billion or something. Was yeah, JP Morgan putting in six billion. What did uh, I say to you about the Hollywood elite in that league? What did I say a week ago or two weeks ago? Yeah, at the end of the day, they're, I mean, they are the stars. that's what people come to see. They will get what they want. Mm-hmm. And all these people who keep going on about the greed in the Premier League and the top six are trying to run out. Listen, let me educate you because I am in football and I own a football club, Okay. You are dealing with six, seven clubs who are untouchable and will be always Mm -hmm. because of who they are. Without those clubs in our leagues, without those clubs we're not uh, affiliated with, there is no other leagues. Well, there will be, but let me tell you. There's no TV deals. There's no TV deals. There's no big money. You'll have players on £300 a week. The level will drop. You know, our whole game and industry and the £9 billion deal, the TV deals are all built around the top six, seven clubs. That's not going to change today or tomorrow. So what we need to do is I suppose you put it like this. I suppose if you date out of your comfort zone, if you end up with a supermodel, I'm not going to go with you, Phil, but let's just use an example. You end up with a supermodel. As part of you probably thinking, what's she doing with me? She could be with so many other people. So sometimes you've got to placate her, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and, and let her do the things she wants to do as long as she comes home to you. So it's the same in the football league. I don't know if that's the perfect uh, comparison, or, you know, <laughs> metaphor there. You know, if Liverpool, Man United and, and Chelsea and all of them want to play an extra 10 European games a year, yeah. earn a bit more money, but they're still going to come home to us and play yeah. the Premier League and still going to, you know, retain the FA Cup, I suppose we'll let them have their flirtation. Yeah. Now, if they want to break away and leave us, that's a different matter. Then we're all stuffed and we hope the alimony payments are big. <laughs> yeah, and they've got that power and leverage, and mm-hmm. um, you know we said it before. That's that's the hard truth. It know? is the hard truth, and I've said it, and I'll say it again. You can write all your moaning articles you want. You can tweet and bitch and moan about it. You can call them all greedy bastards. You can talk about whatever you want to talk about. But without the top six, seven clubs, we've got nothing here. Yeah, and we've got no power or leverage in that negotiation. Nope, nope, nope. And everyone wants to say Project Big Picture is dead. It's not dead. No. And I saw some of the other owners were saying, oh, you know, there's no way we'd ever do it. Listen, we are all whores here, okay? If a few things are changed in Project Big Picture, we're all dropping our drawers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all getting the vase out to the side. We're all bending over. We're all going to take it, and we're going to sign. Because at the end of the day right now, money talks and bullshit walks. And that is the hard truth. Yeah, and this just feels like it's the latest um, push on that journey. You know, because the, I, I agree. It's like the uninformed opinion over here. I, I completely agree it's going to happen. The question will be how are they going to make it happen where the rest of the Premier League clubs are on board. So that's their, now their argument within the Premier League. What's the mouthwash with the swallowing? Mm-hmm. That's the reality because we're going to have to swallow and take yeah. something. So it's how it goes down. Yeah. Is it going to be bumpy or is it going to be smooth? And we get on with it. And that is, that's, that, that is the reality of what we're dealing with here. I am so worried about our game. No one, it seems to be forgotten the last two weeks. I've heard nothing more from the EFL. I've had no update. I've heard nothing from the government. So again, I'm going to screen my message yeah. for Oliver Dowden, for Boris Johnson, for Rick Parry, for the guy who runs the Premier League. We need help. The Football League needs help. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, to fucking day. Yeah, we need it. And help doesn't really mean let's defer some tax for a little bit longer. Nope, I saw that. Well, you don't have to pay your PIOE maybe for five months. Well, that's great. And then next May we're fucking we're selling the 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 tea the the tea set Mm -hmm. to pay the back bills. That's not helping. Yes, 
it's going to put a plaster over the cut, but it's not going to stop the bleeding. So, you know, again, we need help. Where are the conversations going? And I'm not seeing a lot written about it. It's gone quiet. It's gone quiet. And that's really concerned me. And I said this two weeks ago, the distraction of all this big project bollocks Mm -hmm. and all the journalists writing about it and everyone screaming about it and everyone talking about it would be, we will end up being the victims because it's going to distract from our calls. And the EFL needs help. And this is distracting from what we need. And we're now at the end of October. And we've said it ourselves as a club. You know, we had a meeting last week. We're going to be approaching our players and our staff shortly. Yeah. If the, because we're now in a position where our fans, you know, they're coming at us for season ticket refunds. And there's no guidance from the government when they can get back in. Yeah. And we're now going to have to honour those. And it's the right thing to do. But we're not in a position financially to do it. But we're going to have to find a way. Mm-hmm. And that means some hard conversations with players and staff are coming in the next couple of weeks. And I don't want to have those conversations. But we're going to be left with no choice. We've got no income at the moment. Yeah. And we're not the only football club. And the reality is, if it carries on, we'll probably have to sell a youngster in January, mm-hmm. one of our starlets. Maybe we'll have to sell a first-teamer. That's just football. Yeah. We're going to have to do what we've got to do to have a good season, get to the end of the season, get on with it. Because the government, the EFL, the Premier League are leaving us with no choice. And the thing is, you're in a fortunate position that you have that ability to do so. Mm-hmm. A lot of the clubs don't. They don't have particularly sellable assets. No, we can go and raise millions. Mm-hmm. Um when we need to do it. But we're going to need help from our players. We're going to need help from our staff. We're going to need help from everyone around us to get us to the stage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a long time till that, till that window opens. We banked on having fans again. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and okay, we put it off possibly till January, but now we're even facing January. is not going to happen. We start selling season tickets next February, March. So, you know, they're really putting our game in peril. And that's cash flow you would bank on. Absolutely. In February, and March, and next the, it's already, tickets. it's in our budget. Yeah. And now it's getting taken out of our budget. And our January games are getting taken out of our yeah. budget. And what we didn't have in our budget was refunds and refunds of massive amounts. All that's got to go in. So we, and we're one of the best run clubs in League One, will hit a wall. Yeah. Instead, you're getting five grand a week from iFollow. Right. Yeah. And that's it. Correct. So again, there is no solution on the horizon. And I don't want to be writing on Twitter moaning about a night and day. Other people do that. That's fine. That's their prerogative. But that's not getting us solutions, Phil. Well, some clubs that have got a little bit of money coming their way is the National League, National League North and South. So they got, I think it's 10 million in funding from the 20. National Lottery. Was Wasn't it 20? 20? I want to um, say it was 20 million, yeah. 83 grand, 70 to 80 grand each? Yeah, something like that. But it based, a month. Based upon the level that you're <coughs> in, so National League first, and then whether you're in National League North and South, and right. then based on crowds. So there's still some grumbling, I think, from the larger well, clubs within, League, uh, within National League North and South. Okay. Should they be happy they've got something? Yeah. Listen, absolutely. Well, you know, look, I'm not taking away from any of them. Everyone has a right to, to, to grumble, to moan. You know, no matter what deal you get, you're still not going to be happy. That's yeah. just life. Um, but something is better than nothing. At least they are getting something. I read one club is getting 83 grand a month. That's mm-hmm. a million pounds they're yeah. getting happy days that's yeah. nearly as much as we get so they're actually at our level and we're a, a league club yep so um at least they are getting some solution they are getting some finance thrown at them and i don't think they have to pay it back that's so grand. no everything we've been given so far are advances and loans so uh, i'm not sure where the grumbling has to come from but at least they're getting some help and at least non-league can carry on and i believe dude can north and south have fans yes i believe they can right yeah. so i don't know if any of them have to moan about because they can actually get paying customers in the door mm-hmm. so you should grumble less in my opinion if you're in the actual conference premiere where you don't have fans yeah. it's a different story maybe particularly for a club like a wrexham 
Yeah. Wrexham would maybe get three, 4,000 fans normally. So you start adding that income up, that's probably a mil, mil and a half. They're not getting an income. So fair deuce, they've got a lot to moan about. And there's other clubs like that in the in the conference premier. Now talking about uh, fans being able to come into some of those non-league grounds, um, how are you keeping your scouts busy? Are your scouts going into non-league? Are they, My little uh, gem scouts, yeah, yeah. There's two of them. There's, there's actually the boat called um, Ben, <laughs> funny enough. Um, I got BDP and I got young Mr. Uh, W. I'm not going to say their names out loud, but someone will try and snap them up. Um, and these two fellas are great. They've worked for me now for a couple of years. And basically, they, they work directly for me and they go out and do the gem scouting for me. And we've got our eye on the best teenagers in non-league. We nearly signed one on deadline day, funny enough. But the agent uh, put paid to that. Fucking agents. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, we, we, well, what they're doing at the moment is they can't actually go to any league games. So there'd be also yeah. League 2 games they'd be looking to snap up talent in League 2. So they're going deep in non-league and they're looking at players under the age of 19 mm-hmm. who are playing in some of those teams. It was really funny because the way it works, the, the, the politeness level is, is that anytime scouts come to Peterborough, we allow them in the director's box or the executive box. They don't pay. Yeah. Same in non-league. If we go to a game, my football sector will ring up on my behalf and say, look, Mr. McAntony has got one of his scouts coming. You know, usually most non-league clubs, when they hear that, they're kind of like, oh, okay, fantastic, you know, because we're in business here. Yeah. Um, because of the record we've got non-league yeah, we'll players. Stop putting the money in the bank. Yeah, correct. <laughs> so usually they're like, great, we'll leave a ticket on the desk for Ben and yeah. he can come watch the game. And one of them last Saturday emailed me and said, look, uh, um, um, Presidente, he said, uh, the guy wants me to pay 20 quid. They agreed to give us the ticket and now he's saying, no, why should I let you win? And he said, well, Mr. McAntony, the you know, president of Peterborough United, they sent me. He said, I couldn't give a fuck who sent you. Um, buy your ticket. So what do you want me to do? I said, buy the ticket and go. Yeah. Go to the game. And uh, fuck him. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'll remember that. Because if anyone from non-league, an owner, a director, or whatever, came and wanted to come to one of our games, we would always let them in. Mm-hmm. There's never a problem. It's an unspoken like an un- rule. Yeah, I was about to say unwritten rule. It's, it's an unwritten rule. It's like if I want to go see a Liverpool game, yeah. I went to the Arsenal-Liverpool game at the Emirates once, and Baz rang up Arsenal, and they put me in the director's box. Mm-hmm. Because... At the end of the day, there's 92 owners. Yeah. There's 20 in the Premier League, there's 72 in the Football League. If any of the owners want to ever come to a game at Peterborough, I would always have them looked after. Mm-hmm. And just because you're a Premier League club, it should go in the same way. It shouldn't be, ooh, we're you know, Liverpool or Arsenal. You're still you're doing business. They still want to um, loan out some of their players down the pyramid. But they're an owner, I'm an owner. Right? That should be like, you know, a prerequisite. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'll do it for you, you do it for yeah. me. Like I said, there's only 92 yeah. of us. It's not like I'm going to a Liverpool every game every week. Um, you know, and, and of course, if, if Fenway want to come and visit Peterborough, I'm happy to put them in the director's <laughs> box. But yeah, so I did think that was funny, you know, and, and what a way to treat one of my scouts. And again, I'm not trying to sound arrogant, but... When my scouts go to games and then we follow up with a Barry Fry visit, it's usually good news for a non-league right. club. And at the time of COVID, that's kind of superb news. So I was kind of like ticked off at that. Now, can you scout uh, lower league remotely? So what I mean by that is, you know, do you get video of games that are that further? Far no, down the at the moment, no, it's tough with COVID. There isn't a lot of video footage. So I've got to go off the eyes of my scouts. Like we had that one player when he signed a deadline. We, you know, we'd, we'd watched him three times and then the final watch was Barry. I sent Barry along. Mm-hmm. So I sent Baz on a Tuesday and said, look, Baz, we've got a, a 17, 18-year-old. He's rapid, um, little winger. And I said, um, not ready for us yet, yep. but one we would buy, not overly expensive in the time of COVID. We'd do a deal and then we'd give him back to that club on loan for the mm-hmm. year and he would join us next summer. We'd be our player. Baz went on a Tuesday, he rang me at halftime and said, Chairman, you've done it again. Uh, I'm going to get into the boardroom and negotiate a deal. What a fucking player, you know? So Baz stayed overnight, and then we did a deal with the club. 
We met the player, uh, his agent, and then his agent got involved and it all fell down. So greedy, silly, daft, and uh, I think he went locally to a club locally. There were a lot of clubs in for him, but mm-hmm. fair play. At the end of the day, if what we've done as a football club isn't enough of an endorsement for any young player to choose us over other clubs, yeah. I give up. I give up. Certainly at your level. You I know. give up. Seriously. Most of those kids should be walking yeah. to join us. And again, I don't sound arrogant, but we have a pretty good record with those kind of players. Now, I have, I have a question that's not, it's kind of football related, cool. but it's based on um, over the weekend. I'm not sure how much you're into Formula One or yeah, Formula yeah, yeah, yeah. One, yep, but yep. Lewis Hamilton got his yep. um, 92nd win surpassing Michael Schumacher. Yep. Um, my question kind of around this is, you know, you obviously study a lot of sports I professionals, do. you're around them. If you make it to the top and stay there, mm-hmm. how much is it talent and how much is it actually mindset? For, for I think it was his, his seventh world title he'll win this mm-hmm. year. Would it be number seven he'll win? Uh, he's done 92 now, he's, yeah, 90 Schumacher wins. was 91, and yeah. who knows how many more Schumacher would have won, but he was at the end of his career yeah. before the horrific accident. For me, you know, Lewis Hamilton's up there, goat like Tiger Woods, Roger Federer, you know, Dals, um, your Phil Taylor and darts, you know, you've got your, like I've got Tom Brady in the NFL, yeah. you've got your goat-like people, you know, in sports. And what's goat-like about players like that and people like Lewis Hamilton? Look, personally... For me, he looks like a dick most of the time. Do you know what I mean? With his climate shit. You know what I'm like with the climate thing. You know, he's going on about climate and he's in a speedboat while he's videoing about climate and some of the crap he tries to stick down your throat at times. But as a sportsman, one of the best, if not the best. Definitely up there in the conversation with Schumacher. I was an Ayrton Senna fan, but he was was more of a maverick type racer. The consistency of Lewis Hamilton to do it year in, year out and dominate. And yes, he's in the best car, but he's in the best car for a reason. And he did it from a young age. Um... Add into that as well, being a, a minority in that sport yeah. and doing what he's done yeah. as an example for young people and whatever, phenomenal, great role model in that way. He'll probably win another two world titles. Mm-hmm. Um, to have that hunger to keep going because this is a guy, uh, I think he lives in Monaco, tax residency or whatever else, but this is a guy who's a private jet, has got hundreds of millions in the bank. He doesn't need anything else. Doesn't does need it? anything else, doesn't need to get out of bed, yeah. doesn't need to train, doesn't need to climb the mountain again. But every year he comes back and climbs the mountain. Yeah. So I have so much respect for people like that because as that mountain keeps getting bigger and steeper and further away, the older you get. And I think Lewis Hamilton is 32, 33 now. <laughs> Most Formula One drivers, I believe, decline as they get older mm-hmm. because their body can't take it. Yep. You know, the, the, the training that goes into it, the concentration. As you get older as well, your concentration levels drop, right? So it becomes harder to keep doing what you do. And that's what they say like in the NFL, how Brady keeps doing it at 40. Most quarterbacks by 36, 37, yeah, the mental side of the mm-hmm. game, they're done because of the quickness. So for him to do what he's done, regardless of what I think about him away from Formula One, phenomenal. <clears throat> phenomenal. And, and, and me personally, I love goat-like people in sports. I think every sport should have somebody you know, who reaches the top and dominates by a long way. Like, I'm a massive Tiger Woods fan. Yeah. I always have that argument with my dad about Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods. Take away Tiger's two broken backs, his ACL, you know, the marital affairs and the gangbangs and all the rest mm-hmm. of it. You know, he's the greatest golfer that yeah. ever lived. And for some people, like a pal of mine, call out to Josh here if he's listening, hate people like Tiger Woods. Like, despise him, everything about him. Do you know what I mean? Like, just winds him up. But I love that winning mentality. I love that in the zone. You know, against all odds. Do you know what I mean? Like, fuck the competition. Yeah. I am the greatest. Well, it's one thing to get there and completely different I, I, thing altogether to, to stay there. I, I love it. You know, and that level of dominance, like Federer. Yeah. I love Federer. I've hated that he's choked and lost recent Grand Slam titles, particularly to Djokovic, who I can't stand. But, like, Roger Federer, for me, like, the most 
sophisticated, classiest tennis mm-hmm. player to be winning Grand Slams at 36, 37, 38. Yeah, to in be a still, spot when by the time you're 25, you, you're, you're done, you're, you're burnt out. Yeah. And, and for this guy with like an ACL injury, a knee injury, a this, and he still came back and he did it. And he'll probably come back again. And every time I see him choke like he did in Wimbledon last year or whatever else, I go, please call time in your career. Because I don't want to see losses like that keeps for the greatest. Back for more. But he keeps coming back for more. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a guy probably worth half a billion. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, you know what? Credit where credit's due. And same for Lewis Hamilton. Just magnificent. Well, we're going to go into some questions in a minute. We'll take sure. a quick break. Um, we have a bunch of questions. We'll see how many of those we get through today. Business segment coming up. Yep, we got some a lot of people like this. Too. Yeah. Cool. All right, we'll be right see back. See you after the break. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Hard Truth Podcast. We're going to go straight into some listener questions now. And like I said, just before the break there, we have a ton of them. So we'll see how many of these we actually get through today. Um, First one is from Rob. And Rob asks, how does the dynamic of co-ownership work? Um, I assume the ground rules have to be set prior to bringing people in as you're effectively letting go of some of the things you did in the past, handing over some of the responsibilities, but perhaps just some advice or guidance or just some insight into how you handled it as you brought your partners on board. It was new for me. Um, I'd never had a partner in my life before in business. Uh, It was something my dad had taught me, you know, young early on. Don't have partners, try and do things yourself. But when the chance arose and, and Jason and Randy were looking to buy, Originally, he was looking to buy the whole club. Mm-hmm. So I made that deal when I met them in Canada. And I met them originally in Vegas, then I fled to Canada and did the deal. And then they said to me at the end, well, but no, we want you to stay on. And then that kind of caught me on the hop because yeah. I thought I was going there to discuss selling the club, moving on. I thought I found really, yeah, you know, I thought the posh fans had probably had enough of me. It was the right time, mm-hmm. leave them in a good place. Um, and then it was getting my head around, okay, I'm going to have partners. How does the dynamic work? And it was about six months before we closed the deal. So they'd come over a couple of times. We got to spend more time together. I think what they're very good at is they understand strengths and weaknesses. So they understood, look, he knows the football stuff. Yeah. The stuff maybe he's not done as well at as he'd like, maybe the academy, the commercial side, the fan engagement side, the new stadium side, the current stadium side. So I'm okay with that. Look, sometimes... To be good at something, you have to identify where you're, you've got weaknesses. Yeah. But you're not going to be perfect at everything. There is no... Look, if you want perfection, yeah, I would say stand in the mirror and look at it. It's as close as you're mm-hmm. going to get to with me, you know? But I'm joking. But no one's perfect, but they strive for perfection. Yeah. And the best business people in the world, the best leaders in the world, would always be honest with themselves and everyone else and say, hey, I'm not the finished article. Even if I'm 20 or if I'm 70, mm-hmm. I'm nowhere near it. So there are certain strings to my bows that I have, some that I don't. How do I add those? And the great people, you know, add great people around them. Yeah. Have good people working yeah. with them and for them. Yeah. And in this case, I found people who work with me uh, who've got their own strengths and their own weaknesses. Like, I couldn't negotiate the deal on the stadiums. Mm-hmm. Jason and Randy couldn't negotiate the Ivan Tony deal. Yeah. Um, you know, I couldn't go and push to get us cat to for our academy. I didn't have the time, the energy, the desire of truth be known with everything else going on in my world. Jason had the drive to go and do that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And and I haven't got the time to go out and raise the money for the new stadium. Randy will do it in his sleep. So again, strengths, weaknesses. Mm-hmm. It's worked really well up to a point. Um, and that's, you know, uh, fair credit to my partners who I got. Maybe I got lucky. Yeah. Because other people have had horrible partnerships. But there's no perfect science to it. And it's not always perfect. We don't always agree on everything. But you're not meant to. You know, at the end of the day, we all get on very well. But I'm sure there's times they probably think they want to throw me out the window. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it goes in partnerships, yeah. I guess. Yeah, everyone's got a different personality. Don't be frightened of it. Yeah. Sometimes you have to embrace it. 
sometimes the unknown is good to embrace. So it's kind of a follow-up question sure. from Rob as well about co-ownership, but this is correlating to co-management. Okay. Um, Rob says he's seen examples in non-leagues where there's been success. Salford. Um, but is there really a place for a co-management no. team in professional football? No. It's funny, you know, I had this conversation with uh, Danny Kelly when I met him yeah. because his brother's a big part of what he does. And I said, look, it's, it's who, who's the alpha here? Who's yeah. the leader? Who's the manager? I couldn't hire two people to manage a football club. It's hard enough having one, you know, never mind two. Now, I know a lot of management teams come as a pair. Yeah. Great assistant, good manager. There's some phenomenal assistants who are shit managers. There's, you know, some superb managers who make awful assistants, yeah. you know. Um, for me, it doesn't work. It doesn't work in football. In business, you can have a CEO and a chairman. And that works sometimes in the mm -hmm. company, but the CEO is really the hands-on person. The chairman is more the figurehead a lot of the time. Yeah, you need to throw it to choke. Yes, correct. That's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. Or you know, you kick the dog, and it depends what direction you're kicking up in or down in. You yeah. Know? Um, I've got a question from uh, Dean Yowds. Dean asks: okay. Has Dara ever paid more for a player than he would have liked to because he was aware of interest from an owner or a club? that uh, I think the question is that he didn't like and wanted to get one up on them. But I will ask you, um, perhaps if there's a club where you just did, really didn't want that player to end up at that club for a variety of different reasons. I've, I've never bought a player based on that, because yeah. that's letting emotion get in the yeah. way of common sense. And I can't do that in business. The minute you let emotion get in the way too much, you're going to make some bad calls. Um, so you got to be careful there. Try not to get too emotional about something, because emotion has a way of just wrecking your head. So I always say there's two brains, there's here and then there's your gut. Mm -hmm. You know, people go, what would you go with? I say, a lot of the time it's gut. But you've got to be careful sometimes because the emotion can get in the way of that. So I have overpaid for players. But that's not because another club wanted them. That's not, it's just the deal's gone on too long. I want to get the deal done. Yeah. And I wasn't bothered arguing about an extra 50 grand. Yeah. Because we've lost two games the player could have played in. And that 50 and grand would be made And you see up. the potential of what on the other side of the deal. The other thing is, if I've done a deal and I'm paying for the player over four years, I'm probably not going to get to the fourth year because the idea being they come in, they do well, they get sold. So what's the 50 grand we're arguing about? Yeah. Um, I have a question from Jack Walker. Um, and the questions were around uh, training grounds. And so I, sure. I was kind of inspired by that. So I've got a couple of questions on training grounds. Okay. Um, first one was like, how important to Dara is the quality of the training ground? And does it help in terms of recruitment, retention, you know, day-to-day -day performance? Massive. We, um, when I first came to Peterborough, we trained at a local council facility. It was like a public park that was run by a restaurant business because they had like facilities that were second to none. Mm -hmm. But the actual training ground area with dog shit and people walking the dogs every day, the manager would moan all the time. The players used to have to get changed in the car. They would come back to the football club to have lunch, then go mm -hmm. back to train. From day one, I've always wanted to have a facility that everything could be done on site, that we could move staff, the youth staff, everything from the club down to the training yeah. ground. And, and when we ended up at our academy and our training spot, it was a school. And fair play to all the people behind the scenes who made the deal happen. I think we pay a minimal fee every year in rent but we have a deal with the school next door. And we've got unbelievable f training fields. We've got a 3G, 700 grand pitch. Mm -hmm. We've got, I spent over half a million on the facility itself. We've got offices, we've got uh, dressing rooms for under sevens, under eights, under nines. We've got a, a restaurant area for the chef, for the players to cook. Everything's on site. We've got our own gates when you come in. Yep. You know, the car park, even back then, when they used to go and, and change in that shithole that we were at originally, I think it was in Castor or somewhere. But we won two promotions in that dump. 
But the players were driving around in like five grand cars. Now you go to our training ground, you love the evolution of time. The Bentleys, you know, Mercs and all the rest of it, you know. So that I, I get those dirty inside. Yeah, no, that's a sign of the times. But I think if you want as a football club to attract good players, and if you're going to sign ex-Premier League youngsters, or you're going to sign youngsters of being at top, top clubs, players from Europe, and as you go up the leagues, you, your training facility has to be top class. If you want to rise in academy category from Cat 4 to Cat 3 to Cat 2, you got to jump through hoops and you got to have certain things at the training ground. So we've pretty much got a lot of them. The final thing is the dome. Once we get the dome in there, we've got mm-hmm. Cat 2. Cat 2 will open us up as like an unbelievable academy where we are. So training ground for me, pal, massively important. Yeah. Now, is that, um, does ownership come on the agenda of, of owning <laughs> your own uh, training ground or are you happy with kind of the arrangements? That no, I, I, I'd love to own it, but there's just no way because a lot of stuff's council owned. It's mm-hmm. school owned. We pretty much own it anyway. We've got like a 30-year lease for a okay. few grand a year. You pretty much say that is ownership. Okay. So would I like to own all the acres of land there? Of course I would. You know, but the reality is it is what it is. Now, when we get a new stadium down the line and we become a top 10 championship club, if we've outgrown the place, mm-hmm. do we look at retaining that just for the youth yeah. and going and getting a whole new place and go and buy 20 acres somewhere, yeah. farmland somewhere rural and move the whole thing? Possibly. That could happen. I don't know what tomorrow brings. Right. But I've seen clubs like Bournemouth and Leicester and you know Liverpool's new training facility. Now, look, Peterborough's never going to be spending 20, 30, 40 million. But could we get to a stage where we spend 8 to 15 million mm-hmm. on a state-of-the-art training ground with an indoor pool that you see with Leeds with the hydro pools and all the various things. If we're a top 10 championship club and we're bringing the crowds in and doing the business, yeah, I can see us doing that. Yeah. So when you get to that level, that's not a big number anymore. No, is it? it's not a big number because those things can improve you as a club. Yeah. You know, without a doubt, and add value to you as a football club. Now, I have a question from Connor. Sure. Um, Connor asks, um, it's regarding Steve Evans. Okay. About your recruitment of Steve Evans. Sure. Uh, I think Connor is a Mansfield fan. Okay. And said, you know, at the time Steve Evans resigned uh-huh. from Mansfield. Says China. <laughs> to go to China. Um, ended up in Peterborough, not quite China. Sure. I just wondered if you could um, just share a little bit about how Steve Evans came to become manager. I knew him for a long time, because obviously he's a Peterborough fan. His son was in the academy. So I'd always got on quite well with Steve. Um, I remember when it was happening, I went to Dubai and I'd just fired the previous manager. Um, and... I was made to believe, you know, we put out there the job was available. He'd come to a game during the week. Yep. He knew we had no manager. And, he, you know, I don't want to get into the ins and outs of it again, but the bottom line is we ended up paying compensation to Mansfield, mm-hmm. probably the best 150 grand they've ever got <laughs> um, for a manager. But Steve did really well for them. Yep. He did okay for us. It didn't work out. I know Steve always is foreign, you know, whether it's China, whether it's wherever, there's always interest in Steve. Um, he's like me he's his own biggest fan I'm my own biggest fan Um, he would always rate himself uh, and I do know there has been clubs abroad where he's got great contacts not just agent talk no 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 because he's got really good contacts he knows people in the game and he he could have had some decent jobs actually abroad but because he's a very family based person and he's based around Peterborough his missus his his kids they're like Mm. big part of him I couldn't see him going abroad he was never going to China so the last question I have um, from the football side, there's actually a, a kind of a series of questions that okay. come from John. Um, and John said he'd be interested in hearing the thoughts from uh, you on South Shields. They're doing a fundraise on Cedars, which is a crowdfunding platform. Yeah, sure. Crowdfunding for football clubs. What are they raising the money for? So um, I think they're raising the money actually to, to buy the club, to have a... Okay. Uh, Basically, the club has a two and a half million dollar valuation. I understand, what? and that's so. That's well, at least so. That's part of the question. 
And I'll, maybe I'll go there first. <laughs> what are your thoughts on a two and a half million pound valuation for a club that is in the Northern Premier? Yeah, where's the what, what level is that? Step five? That's step five or step six. Yeah. Wow. Well, it must be a hell of a ground or a training facility. Have they got like some top facilities there? Well, it's interesting. I think they only started to do this maybe a week or two ago. And you see folks like Alan Shearer getting behind it. And they last time I looked, they'd raised about 250000 wow. about $2.5 million valuation. Fair play. Listen, for fans who've saved clubs like AFC Wimbledon, doing it with Barry now, mm-hmm. you know, what other clubs? There was FC Manchester, um, Darlington, the rebirth. I'm a big fan of that. And anything they can do to, like, fundraising, it, it works. Yeah. Norwich fundraised when they were back in the championship. I think yep. they needed to spend money on their academy. They raised about $5 million. They got promoted to the Premier League. They paid it back. The fans got a return on their money. I think Stevenage have gone down that route to build mm-hmm. a stand. They've raised money. Any of those things can work. If you've got the fan base and you can get the engagement and you can get people to invest and you're going to give them a return on their money, um, hell, why not? Why not do it? Bravo. And and people like Shearer getting involved. Look, I'm an old romantic. I love non-league. Yeah. I, I spent, I think it was two grand or two and a half grand a summer sponsoring the kit of, an, of a non-league club. And they ended up putting, they said, what do you want on the shirt? I said, put Sue Ryder, the, yeah. the cancer hospice on there. Um, you know, I, and listen, before everyone inundates me with emails to sponsor their clubs, I can't keep, you know, I've every year I kind of lay out who I'm doing charity-wise to mm-hmm. and whatever, and the odd time I'll do a club. Um, I am a romantic, so I love stories like that. So I'd have to look into that. But there are some clubs with phenomenal facilities. A friend of mine told me the other day, Bromley, or a club like with unbelievable facilities in non-league. They're in the Premier, I think, in non-league at the top. Uh, and again, you know, where were Bromley 10 years ago? But, you know, to see them getting in the Football League, like yeah. a Barrow. Or, mm-hmm. Like I said, I'm a romantic. I love stories like that. It's kind of Roy the Rover stuff. It's when you play football manager you take a club down in the right. league and you want to build them up yeah. and get them into the football league and so I've, I've always been behind that kind of story you know doing well so i love that and that valuation wow i want to meet their accountant i need to hire them yeah <laughs> it seems like it's a little bit rich oh but it might not be if as i said to yeah. you if they they could own a stadium they could own a training ground on 100 acres and some valuable property area yeah. you don't know what's yeah. behind the curtains so I'm not going to dismiss their valuation because there could be some seriously good assets there. Mm-hmm. Um, now, back in the day, um, I think this is maybe five or six years ago, we, being Bradford, got involved with Tiffasi, which okay. was Gianluca Vialli was pitching, I think, to a lot of clubs. Okay. And I wondered, what did you, you ever... So that was crowdfunding. So for us, we did crowdfunding around the scoreboard. Okay. So we... Did you raise it? Yeah. Um, I wonder if anyone ever came knocking to you with a scheme like that. No, we'd had schemes like things outside the ground. We've had a few, you know, mm-hmm. pitched to us. Do you know what I mean? We've had the car, the, the, what do you call it, where you put the things on the roof of the stadium for better energy efficiency. And the, we're going to like the solar panels. Solar panels. We're mm-hmm. going to save you money. We're going to look every day of the week. I get shit on LinkedIn. I get people pitching the next great idea, you know, players, agents, you know, whatever it might be. So. Look, anytime fans can step up, like at the moment, they're raising money for Tommy Robson and building a statue. I know Pisa and AD Moles are behind that. They did a magnificent job with the last statue we did for another club icon and legend, and, and they're going to do it again now mm-hmm. since Tommy's passed. So fan engagement, like that's terrific because yeah. it brings fans, the club, people together, yeah. you know, with the right mission, the right purpose, as long as it's not like get the owners out or the manager out, <laughs> you know, it's like the, that purpose and that drive is what you want. And I've said this since COVID struck, our fans have been phenomenal you know since COVID even now they're not putting pressure on us about refunds and whatever else and I'm so thankful for that because we are like every other club no matter who we sell or what we've done we're under pressure like everyone else and and that's why I'm also happy our team are kind of giving our fans something to smile about at the moment and long may that continue onwards and upwards 
Well, I, I have a couple of sure. um, business questions cool. that we're going to go into. Let's do it. Um, one that actually just came in today before okay. um, we started recording from Che Herbert. And Che said, loves the pod. And actually, I'd, I've been having a lot of feedback from folks I've been seeing who really like the, um, uh, the business questions. Cool. And say so it's giving them inspiration, Good. Uh, which I think is just fantastic, especially Good. in the times that we're in right now. I'm um, glad to help. Got to monetize this shit, Phil. We got to write. Got to write that self-help uh, business book. I now. know. Right? We'll, we'll bring the bring the whiteboard over <laughs> yeah. next time, and we'll figure it out. <laughs> no, but I listen. You know, I've been around a while. I've 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 seen good and bad. I, I've been up and down. I've made a lot of money, lost a lot of money. So I think anytime you can pick people's brains who've done yeah. it, been there, seen it, and done it, and if you can get anything from that, great. Yeah. If not, no harm, no foul. Yep, you only need to take one nugget and it yeah, can have a big yeah, impact. Yeah, 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 100%. Um, so Che, Che says he's currently 16 and has cool. the aspiration one day of owning a successful business. Love it. Uh, currently still in school doing A-levels with a Good. part-time job and refereeing at the weekend. So Brilliant. plenty going on. Um, Che's question really is, I don't know if now is the right time to start a business, but I don't really know if there is a good time or when is the good time to start a business. Um, is there ever a right time to start a business? Well, a few things with Che, che is his name. Yeah. First of all, I love the fact he's educating himself. Mm -hmm. uh, second of all, he's got a work ethic already because he's got a part-time job as yeah. well as being a part-time referee. So he's got a bit of sports, he's got a bit of business, he's got it all in there. Um, don't worry about when to start a business, Shake. Get your A-levels, keep working on weekends, yeah. finish school, maybe go to college. There's never a right time to start a business. There's never a right time to shut a business. Yeah. Um, it's down to the individual, it's down to the person, it's down to your belief in the type of business you want. I'll give you an example. And this is about timing in life and everything else. I was close to investing about 250 grand in a restaurant business back in November through to February. Mm -hmm. We were putting it together. It was going to be a concept that hadn't been brought to Florida. We were going to get the franchise rights to it. We were going to open like 10 of them across Florida. You know, we we're going to do Tampa, Miami, yep. Orlando. It would have been the initial commitment was 250. It would have gone all the way up to possibly a mil. Yeah. And I was very excited about it because it wasn't here. And I had a friend of mine who was going to be a partner. I was probably going to be two of us. We might have brought in two more people, minority players, but who would have run it more for yep. us. And I thought, you know, this is going to hit big. This is I could take this to the UK. If I put my dough in, I'd have lost my bollocks mm -hmm. because of COVID. So I would have put all that money in. We would have opened probably three to start with in Florida. They would have opened around February. Be We'd like have crickets. been shut six weeks later. <laughs> all right? I'd be fucking hanging out the window. <laughs> my bollocks would be sliced to pieces. Um, so... You know, that was a seriously good concept, the right thing to do, the right business. For whatever reason, there was a legal issue with the licensing rights came up that stopped. So maybe that was divine intervention. Yeah. It was the big fella saying, slow down, not your time to do the business. Um, whatever reason, but I would have lost a lot of dough. Yeah. Um, so again, there's no perfect time. There's no wrong time. Um, if you've got a good business, if you've got a good plan, if you've got a good work ethic, nine times out of 10, you'll succeed. You know, mm -hmm. and there are times you won't. And instead of blaming everyone around you, yeah. you know, sometimes you have to look in the mirror. Yeah. And I've had business failures as well. And the worst part of a successful business person, the worst part of them can be the ego side of them, where they won't take responsibility. I'll always take responsibility. Always somebody else's fault or some... Yeah. some I will always take responsibility yeah. for failure. Yeah. So, because it's in us all, even the best of us have failure in us. Because again, we're not perfect. We're humans and humans make mistakes. And sometimes realizing that's a really hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm a megalomaniac. So for megalomaniac, look that up in the dictionary to see my picture. Many women have called me that, so I'm not quite <laughs> sure what it means. But the, the reality is, is that I know my own faults. I yeah. might not admit them. Yeah. And I'm probably just the first time I'm doing this, but I have faults. 
Everyone does. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not perfect. So accept the failures, move on, learn from them. Yeah. My number one thing. Yeah. yeah. And this is really, really important. Don't make the same mistake twice. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think if you wait for the right time, you'll never do it. Correct. Because there's never a right time. You will always have some doubt in your mind. Even the most positive and optimistic yeah. people will have, there are doers and don'ts. You know, and there's a lot of people who will do and they will jump in and there are people who just won't and don't. Mm -hmm. They don't have the, I'm not going to call people out and say they don't have the balls, the stomach, the whatever else, you know, fair deuce. Each there's a million own. reasons why it's not the right thing for you to do. Look, it's, some people are just wired different. Yeah. You know, whereas I would go and I would put 20 grand on red or black at a blackjack table. Other people, even if they had it, they wouldn't even walk within five miles of a blackjack or a, or a roulette table. Yeah. They just wouldn't. It's yeah. just the way you're built and wired. You're wired differently. So when it comes to business, I've always been more of a maverick. I will always go for it. You know, I said it last week, go big or go home. Mm -hmm. Other people will probably take a bit more of a patient route, you know, and then for them, it might work out better, mm -hmm. you know, and then sometimes they'll have regrets. Sometimes they won't. Yeah. Like I said, we're all different. That's the beauty about humanity. None of us are the same. But you know what? The one thing I'd always say to you is don't doubt yourself. Make your decision and stick with it. If you're going to do it, do it. If not, move on and move on quickly. Yeah. And, and you know, don't worry about it even being the thing that you envisage yourself doing in 10 years time or 20 years time. Like the younger that you learn and even if you learn small, then you can apply those mistakes the next time. Because all these things that you see of overnight successes, most of them aren't overnight successes. I still get inspiration now of meeting people and finding people who didn't make it big till they were 50. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I still find that inspiring yeah. because obviously I, I hit a big young. Yep. Um, then I had a rough patch uh, and no one has the Midas touch or the gold touch forever. But meeting people who've worked hard all their life, but it didn't actually strike it big until they were saying in their 40s or their 50s, that's magnificent. Mm -hmm. I love shit like that. So it just goes to show you out there at any stage in life, don't give up on yourself. Don't write yourself off too quickly, too yeah. prematurely. And even if your first foray into business for yourself is a disaster, it doesn't mean it's never going to happen. So, you know, for, for every Amazon story, there's a million hard luck stories mm -hmm. and broken heart stories. But I guarantee you, Jeff Bezos probably had a few of them before Amazon. He won't admit to them, but he's probably had them. And I'm sure it wasn't all, um, you know, successes on day one. Nope. We know Steve Jobs had some hit and misses. Yeah. You know, and I tell my kids the same. You know, you, you, you're going to have to sometimes, you know, go for it. And sometimes it's just not going to be good enough. Yeah. And that's okay. You learn from it, you move on, you go again. But I love that question. Great to hear that from a youngster. Well, I have uh, one last question. Sure. Um, and that is um, one of my questions okay. in the, from a business perspective. And yep. that's, you know, what are some of the ways that you can use being small to your advantage? Okay. And I say that, you know, oftentimes when you are uh, in a small business, mm -hmm. you're fighting against people who are bigger Brilliant than you. Brilliant question. Um, how can you use that to your advantage? Brilliant question. When I, when I started out um, in real estate, where I was in Marbella, I was selling houses and real estate, and it was a big market for Irish and English people coming in. And there were three main companies that were doing all the business, and they were massive. There was, there was Ocean Estates, there was Viva Estates, there was Interrealty. They were, the, they were like monsters. The big guys. Right? They're big guys. Yeah. Like every street corner, they had an office. They had logoed cars all over. I mean, they were monstrous. Within four years, two of them were gone. And one of them I put out of business about a year later. Mm -hmm. And I ruled the roost. And I was number one. And most of their staff ended up working for me. 
but going back to the start and looking at it, you could be like in awe and you could be, but I wasn't. I was always never jealous, just envious. It was like, great, look at them. They're doing brilliant, you know? But what I did for my advantage was whenever I met clients, I'd go to a big show and you would have all those big companies with their 50 grand stands at property exhibitions. And I'd have my like 200 pound stand in the corner. And I would say to people, I would say, look, here's the difference between me and the monster. This is David and Goliath. So I'd play in people's heartstrings. I would mm-hmm. go to the guy, if he was a businessman, I would go, do you remember when you were starting out? And the guy would go, yeah, of course. Did anyone ever give you a break? Or did you always get trampled on by the big guy? So I'd play on his emotions. Mm-hmm. Then I'd be like, listen, I'm that guy you take yeah. a chance on. Yeah. Then I would say to them as well, the great news with me is you're getting me. When you go on those big company stands, you ain't meeting the owners. You ain't meeting the capitan, mm-hmm. the boss. You're meeting staff. And they got thousands of staff. You're dealing with me. Yeah. I am the owner. My name is on the business. So my word's my bond. Yeah. You're getting me. And you get me 24-7. With them, you'll get a high-powered answer machine. Who do you want to deal with? Mm-hmm. And I would play on that. And that was, again, like a selling tool. So I would push on that. And the big thing I would push on that these big businesses never did was, as a small business, I would push for referrals. Because everything I did was personal. Yeah. Like personal, really personal. Like I would meet a client. The following day, I'd always ring them. I would do a deal. I would ring that client twice a week. It was personal. Clients would come back to the country where they bought. I never needed to do this. I would go at 4 a.m. in the morning and pick them up from the airport mm-hmm. because I wanted to do that. Because I had that connection with clients, it was the personal touch as the small guy. They would refer me neighbors, friends, people they met on a bus. Yeah. You wouldn't believe the referrals. They want you to succeed, don't they? They do. I would go out for dinner with them. I, would go. I even stayed with a client in the UK when I couldn't afford to stay in a hotel. Yeah. A client put me up in their spare room when I went to a property shop. I had that much of a personal relationship with them and they were rooting for me. Yeah. I used to do sh- private shows and some of my ex-clients would come in with their family and I'd go for dinner with them. And some of them even would talk to new clients for me. I used to have, it was one of the tricks I played, I'd meet a client and they'd be a bit like, oh, we're not sure. I'd go, listen, I've got a friend of mine who's a bank manager at Bank of Ireland. He's bought two properties from me. Do you want to speak to him? Yeah. And go, he's manager at Bank of Ireland. I'd go, yeah. And I'd put him on the phone to him. Yeah. I would ring Michael, who was in Galway at the time, to speak to someone in Spain about buying a property. And they'd be like, how did it go? And be like, fantastic, there's your guy, blah, 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 blah. So it's not always about the big guy and the small guy. There are so many maneuvers when you're the small guy that you can get around. If you really want to go down another route as well, you can drop your drawers and become cheaper than the big guy. I never liked doing that. Not so me personally. It's kind of a race to the bottom, I don't, isn't it? I don't like doing that. Yeah. I, don't, I used to say to people, and some clients would play on that and go, well, actually, you're a one-man band, so you should give us some of your commission. And I used to go, no, that's not who I am. Even if I had five pounds in my pocket... I have a value mm-hmm. and I'm not dropping my value. So, you know, that's what you get with me. And if you want a cheaper version of me, go buy off someone else. So I had value in myself. Yeah. But the one thing I always had was that closeness with clients was, was immense early on. And it's one of the things I regretted as the business got bigger and I became the big guy and I had thousands, do you know what I mean, of clients. I couldn't have that personal touch. I used to try and keep it. We would every Christmas send Christmas boxes, baskets to clients all over the world mm-hmm. used to cost me 300 grand every christmas to send out you know what i mean what do you call those things uh, the hampers uh, hampers every yeah. christmas we do it and it would be a note from me to all the clients and that was at that stage as close as i got to clients because i'd be traveling all over the world yeah so i missed that so as a small business there are so many advantages you can take against the big guy don't forget this the big guy doesn't really care about you and they fall asleep at the wheel and while they're asleep at the wheel you should be working seven days a week mm-hmm. because the big guys won't the big guys get to a stage where they get sloppy, they get complacent, they do five, six days a week. The small guy is the guy who will outpace them with energy and desire because he's more hungrier. Yep. And people who are more hungrier, not desperate, more hungrier, more energy, more desire can fucking beat Goliath. All right? It's, I know it can happen because I 
did it. Yep. And I'll tell you one day of the restrictions and the shit that used to go on with the big guys trying to put me out of business. The tricks they pulled, the things they did, making my life unbearable, made it very difficult for me to build my business, and I conquered them all. And not only did I conquer them all, I took revenge in every fucking one of them and put them out of business. Well, I, I hate to say that, you know, I've I've been a party to that as well in mm-hmm. doing what I'm doing. And, yep. um, you know, you have some naivety a little bit when you start and you think that um, they'll leave you alone. And then when they realize that because they're, they're slow movers and they're not innovative mm-hmm. and they have um, revenue streams that to be innov- innovative will actually eat into their existing cash flow. Um, so they will do whatever it takes to put you out of business. Of course they will. Um, of course they will. If, you, if that ant becomes a dot on the horizon... And the energy trend, and that's what happened with me. Yeah. They went after me relentlessly. Yeah. But like I said, you know, just because you're the small guy, you are David Goliath. The story's there for a reason. It can happen. Yeah. So, and there's loads of great stories like that. And some of the biggest brands in the world were the small guys once. So, the only lesson I'd give from that is when you become a good guy, you know, remember that it's all right being ruthless, but it's, sometimes it's easy for you to be that um, yeah, big, you, fat, and happy big guy. That, do you know what? Be humane about it. Yeah. So that's our lessons for today on business. If you want more, email us at? Yep, it's um, contacts at hardtruthfootball.com or the contact form on the website, hardtruthfootball.com. Make sure you give us your reviews. We're flying up the charts. We're getting more viewers every week, but we'd like more. So we'd ask you as a favor out there if you could basically stick reviews on on, uh, Apple, Spotify, on Anchor, Mm -hmm. wherever you can find the podcast. Share it on Twitter, share it on Facebook. We're very appreciative of your support. I think we've gone through 200,000 listeners this week is the new record after 25 podcast episodes. So very proud of that. And uh, we want to get all the way to a million. Yeah, well, those ratings and reviews really do make a difference. So uh, anything you can do. If you like the pod, if you hate us, give us a five-star review and then yeah. tell us that you hate us. Absolutely. <laughs> Leave your address. I'll send yeah. the heavies around to see you. <laughs> For today, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks a lot, everybody. We'll be back again next Wednesday. Cheers, guys.